Hey everyone, it's Heather Cabot. Thanks for joining me on The New Chardonnay, a podcast about reinvention and resilience and conversations with thinkers and doers on the forefront of change. This episode, we're talking mental health. Anxiety and depression are on the rise in the wake of the pandemic. The Washington Post recently reported that public health officials are bracing for a spike in suicides, substance abuse, and domestic violence. And a Kaiser Family Foundation poll found that more than half of Americans admit fears and uncertainty about coronavirus is already affecting their mental health. So this week, I'm talking to serial entrepreneur B. Arthur, someone I've actually been talking to for several years. We first met when I was reporting uh, my book about women in tech, Geek Girl Rising. B. is a mental health advocate who has just launched a talk therapy startup of the future. It's called The Difference, and it uses Alexa technology and artificial intelligence to match you with a therapist on the same day. Ideally, she says, within 30 minutes or less. As you'll hear, the timely idea originated when B was facing a crisis of her own. Well, hey, Heather. Heather's my homegirl for many, many years. Um, and yeah, my name is B. Arthur. That's my real name. And I'm the founder and CEO of The Difference, where we believe the right talk at the right time can make all the difference. So I'm really just trying to make it so that there is no excuse. Uh, this is a low-friction, affordable, sustainable, easy way whether or not you have health insurance, you have employment insurance, whether, I just want everybody to have someone to talk to on a bad day. Um, and so that's why I'm building the book. So I don't know if you remember this. So I actually participated in your pilot when you were researching it a couple of years ago. Oh, my God. And I am Ooh, proud to say that I, I actually uh, was part of your pilot when you were experimenting, I think it was with WhatsApp. And um, oh. and I got connected with a fantastic therapist. Me and I'm just now remembering this. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> and and in fact, um, I ended up talking to her for a couple of years. And um, awesome. yes, having experimented while you were doing that pilot, I thought it was really fascinating. And I, I so I, I wanted to know how did you come up with that idea and this idea of on-demand therapy? So is it okay if we get real on this podcast? Please. <laughs> so honestly, so the difference came about because obviously I did, uh, my last company was called Pretty Padded Room. Uh, mm -hmm. We were um, online therapy for women. We were in business from 2011 to 2016. With that company, I was on NPR, Shark Tank, MTV. I was the first black woman in white combinator, first African-American, I should say, because there was actually a black girl before because she was from, from England, so it counts. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, that's just always been my, my mission. As a therapist, I have a real problem with the way it's delivered, um, with the way our field is set up, especially its dependency on, on healthcare plans. And I just always wanted anybody, because, you know, as an entrepreneur for the last 10 years, I haven't had health insurance, you know, and as a therapist, I don't really take health insurance. So I just felt like the only people that's winning is the, the health insurances. Like, like therapists don't want to take it because you end up spending, like, three months chasing a $60 invoice. And then, but the average person doesn't want to pay $200 out of pocket, understandably, mm -hmm. especially if insurance is supposed to cover it. So that's why we kind of have to charge that much, especially the nature of therapy itself is that 
you know, your clients feel better and leave. So you do really have to count on some kind of fixed income, which doesn't really exist in our field. So with the difference, the reason I really wanted it to be on demand was um, with my last company, it was just like regular therapy. You would schedule um, as soon as you could. We tried to guarantee between one to three day, days, um, or you could journal. But um, And the reason I had to think to get real is because in the last year of my company, 2015 to 2016, we ran out of our investor funding um, in May 2015, and um, I had to let everybody go, but I just didn't want to let the business go, and I did everything, including funding, all of that. I didn't pay my rent instead of I, – I, I paid payroll instead of paying my rent. So it was – I crazy. remember. I remember yeah, seeing you. We had lunch during that time. I remember talking with you about that. I literally don't remember anything. I was like an empty shell just walking around, <laughs> like, <laughs> like just obsessed. I Like I was just single-minded towards – pretty padded room. I was just like, I need this business to stay open. Especially, I was the only person doing the customer service to help them. So I was directly connecting with the people who used my service, who I was grateful to, who I was rooting for, who I wanted to keep my therapist employed. So I did anything I could by any means necessary. People have always said I'm by my any means necessary kind of girl to keep the business open and keep the service alive. Um, and to, to my discredit. So, like, I, I had to go to housing court. I went through a breakup. And, and the only reason I mention all this is because I ended up – I called the suicide hotline four times that year. And really? I'm okay with saying, yeah, like, and, and I hope it doesn't seem dark. The only reason I mention is because I'm a therapist, so I'm trained in this, right? With all the self-awareness and understanding about how the human mind reacts to trauma and fear and uncertainty, I understood that. But – and I knew that my body didn't want to die, but my mind – and my heart wanted the problems to stop, wanted the pain to stop. And so those days that I called, I couldn't tell you those people's names, where they lived, what, what, how long they had studied. But in 20 minutes, by every time, it was less than 30 minutes, they were able to talk me down. And, again, I didn't have a plan. I really just, you know, felt really bad for my family. They were worried about me. Like, so I felt like I couldn't call them. I couldn't tell my investors they don't want to hear it. It's just being an entrepreneur is such an isolating experience, and nobody wants to hear it. And so I'm just really grateful for those people because they answered when I needed them, and, and they helped me go on another day. And so all through 2016, as my company thing that meant the most to me was dying, this was my lifeline. I could not afford therapy, so I had to call a crisis line. And, and when I came out of it, I was like, damn, like, I'm a therapist. All my best friends are therapists, you know. Like, wh- like, why isn't there a non-crisis version of this that it shouldn't have? You know what I mean? Like, why isn't there something where I could just call and, and get help anyway and I don't have to be in a crisis? And so originally I was just trying to solve that problem, the access issue and the convenience issue, right? Like, everybody can schedule with a therapist in theory. Everybody should be able to get professional help in theory through your insurance. Through, most therapists aren't taking new clients. The good ones are. Or they're not good salespeople. You know, it's just a really hard, opaque mess to figure out. And so I originally was trying to scale it down to productize it. The one you tested, we were trying to do emotion detection and voice. Machine learning was really hot. I was like, ooh, let's see if we can tell if someone's upset just by the sound of their voice. Because I know I can, right? If I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going? And you're like, I'm fine. I know you're not, right? And so, <laughs> so, so can a computer do that? And can that kind of give us the information we want about human behavior? Because there's so much mystery around mental health. So we started with that. And thank you so much for being one of my beta users. Audience, always support your friend's dreams. Like, even if they're wrong, it, the lessons <laughs> will lead them somewhere. Always support your friend's dreams. Um, and so thank you so much. Because even though what, what I liked and what I learned from, from that pilot The adoption wasn't there. What people want in the middle of a crisis is to talk to someone, not to talk to a machine. And that's kind of when I snapped out of the technology space. I always say I I created psychology technology. That's why I was like, no, let me reconnect to just psychology because this is the last good human experience. 
do we really want to replace it with the robot? You know what I mean? And so it was like, no, we're not going to do that. But what I did like about the um, the version that we tested, which was we were trying to do like Snapchat for therapy, was that um, you could tap the button and just kind of vent. You could just get your get it out of your body and get it out of your head and get on with your day. And so that was just the voice piece because it's hard to talk about bad things while somebody's looking at you, right? So I didn't really need the video element of therapy. I needed the voice element of, of therapy because that's what confession is like, right? Like you, you, you're in a dark room, you're staring straight ahead. The idea is that you're safe and heard. Even the couch in therapy, it started because Freud made his clients lie on the couch and speak to the feeling as if they were talking to God. You know, you didn't start facing your therapist until the 60s or so. So I really like that idea, this confessionary stream of consciousness. So in 2018, when the when the data wasn't working out, I figured, you know, people talk to Alexa, people talk to therapists. It's this perfect Venn diagram of opportunity. So that's how we actually got to start. Also, Amazon had just partnered with Berkshire Hathaway. Well, not just, but I was like, they're trying to take over healthcare. The, you know, healthcare is like the most regulated thing. So I was like, this is a perfect partner at a volume play to get us the distribution that we need. And so I was really lucky to be able to connect with Amazon. That was a whole other story. Shout out to Amazon. But that, yeah, that was, that's the origin story of the difference. One thing I just wanted to take a step back, because again, people who are listening may not know your entire history, although they may have seen you on Shark Tank. But um, mm-hmm. the you started out as a domestic violence counselor. Don't you? You have a master's from Columbia. I mean, how did you go from um, being a therapist to being a startup entrepreneur? I mean, I love, I, I, I was telling you before, I love stories of reinvention. And I guess, how did you take me through that, that, that leap? Because obviously that was the foundation for everything that you're doing now. Yeah. I mean, I'm really lucky because um, before I went back to school for psychology, I was in real estate briefly. Um, so when I was on Shark Tank, Barbara Corcoran was um, on my panel, and I was like, I worked for Corcoran. You're part of the pretty bad room story. It did not work out, y'all. But, again, I'm still here. But basically, um, I love therapy. I love mental health. I would do it for the rest of my life if I could, but I couldn't because I couldn't afford to. The truth is that therapists, just like architects, is one of those many careers that looks like they make a lot of money. But it doesn't. Um, if unless you are well known or you have a solid referral um, base, it's really hard to be one of those therapists who charges two hundred, three hundred an hour. Most therapists are working on a sliding scale. Most therapists have a lot of expenses. They're either paying their insurance, the psychology today, or the office space. And most people, most Americans, can't really afford more than eighty dollars an hour. So you're stuck in this place where you have to like convince people to talk about their problems, like for an extended period of time. Um, and also, people are already not really wanting to go to help. So the only job that kind of exists with a fixed salary for therapists is at social workers or in hospitals, right? And a lot of those things are based on grants or government funding. And I was a domestic violence counselor at an agency called FEGS, which has since gone um, under. Um, and, yeah, I was making 38000 a year. I went to Columbia, I speak two languages, and I was making $38,000 a year. I was going to start. My supervisor, who was, again, what I'm looking at, my direct trajectory of what the best I could do with my career, was making $50,000 a year, and she couldn't afford a cell phone, and she worked till 9 p.m. every day. So me, being 26 at the time, I was like, I just... My, I went to Columbia, you know, my degree cost twice as much as that. I'm going to starve. And, you know, I've, I've always been, uh, you know, a natural salesperson. I am an immigrant child, so I'm, I'm a hustler. So I was just like, okay, how can I pimp this? I love therapy. 
you know, I used to be in sales. What I'm really good at is scaling an idea. Because even if you are a therapist making $200 an hour, there's a cap on how much you can make. Most people, you know, schedule cut sessions between 4 and 9 p.m. And, I mean, that is, has changed now. Obviously, now that time is an illusion. Um, but, but, but I was just like, how am I going to scale this? And so, um, like I said, most therapists aren't very good salespeople. They're in the helping professions for a reason. So I was like, let me act as their agent. And that's kind of always been my motto. Even now, I'm always trying to make therapists part of the conversation. I think therapists should be the new Kardashians. So I feel like I'm the Kris Jenner of therapy. Bringing <laughs> it to the mainstream. I'm just forcing it on that. y'all. Well, I mean, that, that could get, I mean, that could get too serious, but I mean, we're now at a point where people need therapy more than ever. I mean, the ever. level of stress and anxiety that we're all taking on right now, and that was completely unexpected. I and mean, I think that's a big part of it, too. I mean, it was, this is just such a crazy thing that we're in the middle of right now with, you know, and, and, and with not really knowing where, when it's really all going to end and the ripple effect. I, I mean, I guess I'd love to know, have, get your perspective on that. Um, and, and also, you know, I was thinking that not just for the patients, and, and the, the, you know, the, the, the clients out there, but also for the actual therapist. Yeah. Who, who are trying to help people. I have a lot of friends personally who are therapists, who are family therapists. Um, I have a couple of very good friends, and I worry about them. So I'd love your perspective on on, on that. Um, just, you know, as a mental health professional, what are what are you thinking about these days as you look as you look around the world and see what's happening? I mean, honestly, anybody who says they know what's going to happen, you should just stop listening to them. You know, this is literally biblical. You know, <laughs> this is like if somebody told you this was going to happen, you can believe it. You know, like the fact that, you know, it's not by country, like it has nothing to do with your affiliation, and it turns out not your age. Like this is like a biblical event. Like, and, and, and I do think our minds have had a hard time adjusting um, with good reason. I mean, for the first week, I, I very frequently caught myself staring at walls. And the worst part is I, a lot of people were checking on me, but also I'm a lot of people's unofficial therapists, you know, because that's just kind of like naturally how I am. You know, you and I got really close because I'm just like a very open book. So a lot of people were calling me, and that's the main thing that you hear from therapists. Um, normally what makes our work so great is diversity. Like we get to hear different problems from different people. Everybody is coming in with this existential dread and despair and uncertainty. So we're in addition to the collective shock, there was a collective anxiety. Then there was a collective depression. And and, and so it's, it's very rare, unless you work in a, you know, a, a designated setting, that you – it's have everybody going through literally the same thing at the same time. So it's hard for a therapist. I do think we're looking forward to getting to the other side because obviously this is, you know, anything that was an issue before was really highlighted um, by the extreme circumstances. So that's the work that we enjoy doing. And if anybody's just trying therapy for the first time, I would that's all I would recommend. Just really use this time as a self-discovery. You know, like all bets are off. Like let's just pretend Nothing matters. You know, how do you want your life to look? How do you personally want to feel? Because the main thing that's missing for people's functioning, that's, you know, really making it hard for people to not lose their mind, is the lack of control. You know, anytime you yeah, feel uncertainty, yeah. you will automatically feel anxiety. Anytime you feel like you don't have control over your life or you enter a victim mentality, it's literally giving up fear. This is especially hard for men who, who kind of need it just to function. So that is kind of the thing, that you can decide how you want this to go for your kids, for yourself, how you talk to your kids, your boss, your colleagues, all starts with how you talk to yourself. And that is what a therapist can do, help you clean out any thoughts, energy, any of that stuff that no longer serves you. 
do you, and I'm sure you're reading the same things that I am about, you know, people looking down the road and saying that people really warning that the mental health effects of this pandemic are going to be with us for many, many years. Are, are you concerned about that? And how do you think we should be approaching it as a society? How do you think we should be approaching it? How do you think mental health professionals should be approach, approaching it? I think that, yeah, we're all forever changed for this. One thing I'm grateful for, and I don't know, like, you know, where the audience is, like, political leanings is, I'm really grateful that this will be known as pre the, the era will be pre and post-COVID rather than pre and post-Trump. Because, you know, again, when we come mm. to control, the, the media and just the, the anger and just the immediate polarization and tribalism that's occurred because of political discourse and fatigue is just that, you know, we've allowed that that narrative to control our minds. You know, whatever we feel about Trump, either he's right or he's so wrong or he's so evil, like, it, because it's constant breaking news, that's what was controlling our minds and making us feel vulnerable, depending on which side of the aisle you're on. In this case, it's more about, you know, how can I survive? Which I, and, and, and what kind of quality of life do I want to have? Which is, I think, the question that we should have been asking each other all along. I mean, but if you think about young people, you know, some of them graduated high school or were entering college in 2016, fall 2016, which is forever changed America, and then are graduating college, <laughs> you know, in the middle of not just a recession, a depression, just a fundamentally different world. So, of course, those kids will be different. You know, we all have different reference points. I mean, look at how baby boomers still talk about millennials, and, you know, very little has changed realistically. So the kids that are raised now, um, yeah, of course, will be different. And so that's what, especially people at home with children, I, I know that that's a really big thing. How do you want them to remember this? You know, school really isn't as important as people think. If your kids are in middle school or elementary school, you know, like, this is where they learn happiness patterns. This is where they learn how to control, how to cope with uncertainty. This is where they learn communication patterns, effective communication patterns. So it really is just like managing your day and your mood as much as possible for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the so I, what I find so fascinating about you, honestly, and here we are, and we're talking about all the uncertainty, and we're in the middle of a pandemic, and you've just launched your another startup. And you lost your co-founder. On the same day. But you're so resilient. (laughs) No, but you, I can hear it in your voice. I mean, you, not that you don't have down days. I mean, obviously you do. So many. Because you're human. (laughs) And you you talk about them as you talk with me, you know, in Geek Girl Rising. I mean, you, you are very open about, you've written about failure. You've written about stumbles. I guess where do you where does that come from in you the, the the that ability to keep going and I'm thinking for people who are listening who maybe are really having a, a hard time right now um, mm-hmm. what can you share from your own life and I guess what kind of advice can you can you offer people out there Ooh, okay so. Thank you. First of all, that's a lovely question. Thank you so much for witnessing me that way. It certainly doesn't feel that way all the time. It certainly doesn't feel that way today. But um, honestly, girl, it's just, I don't know if you would call it obsession. I don't know if you would call it love. This is my mitzvah. This is my mission. You know, and, and you know, I, I heard, you know, I don't know how, like, spiritual or hippy-dippy you are, but, you know, a lot of the, the literature always about being in alignment, you know, like, is this in alignment? Doesn't make sense because the only time you have conflict is when something is not fitting in within your life. You can always feel it, like, you know, otherwise you're on autopilot, right? 
So if there's something just that's kind of like a, you know, like some, like popcorn stuck in your tube, pay attention to that. I'm really lucky that I can ignore all that because for the most part, I am full because I found my purpose in life. You know, I've been a therapist for a long time. A lot of people have success, have connection, but they don't really feel connected to their lives because it's a means to an end. I've had a lot of money. I've had negative thousands for months at a time. But I've always had in my heart just this fire and this just passion for people. And um, I'm getting emotional thinking about it because, like, you know, especially on my tough days, because of my line of work, I know what it's like to uh, feel like you're at the bottom of the ocean. I know what it's like to feel like you told your friends this story too many times, to feel like, man, like, I just keep trying and I just keep, you know, getting kicked down. But every time I wake up and I keep trying, good things happen. I allow people, my clients, a certain amount of self-delusion. And that's honestly what's gotten me this far. Like, I, I literally only see my goal, my, the service that I want to give to the world in front of me. Like, it's all I can think about. It's, it's you know, so I, I'm lucky that I have love. Because if you try to be too logical in this country in this time, you're, you're, you're going to get disappointed every time. So when you think about gratitude, you know, think about fantasies, too. You know, think about how you'll be on the other side of this. I promised myself I would speak French and be able to do a three-minute plank <laughs> on the other by the time we get out of here. Remains to be seen. But, it, you know, it makes me, gives me something else to think about. Yeah, actually, it's well. I'll tell you something. I'm gonna. This is like true confessions, but the whole reason why I wanted to try doing this podcast is I wanted to teach myself how to do the um, the sound editing software. <laughs> like I wanted, I wanted to do a podcast for years, but I was so intimidated by the technical side of things because when I was a television mm-hmm. reporter, I had people editing for me. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't do it, and so finally, I was like, well, I'm I'm home. <laughs> I might as well. How to do this. So, yes, I I agree. I think focusing on new skills, coming up with new goals, I think that's great advice. So just to wrap up, there's an invite code that people who are interested in trying the difference could could get right now. So do you want to share that? Yes. To your lovely, lovely listeners who are looking for some inspiration, really are interested in resilience and perseverance and how to stay positive and persistent through all this and maintain perspective during the pandemic, I would love to offer y'all your free first session with the difference. And because Heather is my heart, that'll be the, the invite code. We can just have a Heather heart because these are all Heather's hearts all because of all the love we share on the share with your audience. How about that? <laughs> I love that. So Heather Hart is the, is the invite code. Wow. Thank you so much. I appreciate My it. Pleasure. And um, I hope that you're feeling good after our conversation, too, because I know today was a hard day. So I'm always going to be okay. Always. That does it for the new Chardonnay. Thanks so much for listening. If you or someone you know needs immediate help, don't hesitate to call or text a crisis hotline in your area. Take care of yourself. Until next time, keep pushing ahead.